Welcome back to the Split the Seam podcast. This is the second episode of our still fairly new podcast. Uh, a lot There's a lot to catch up on between the two sports. We're going to jump right into it here with uh, some baseball. Now, guys, when I look at the tables, this is going to be a reoccurring thing we're going to do for baseball while we look at the regular season, is we're going to take a look at the table and see you know, what teams impressed us the way we thought they would go, maybe some surprises. Definitely want to look to start off in the American League East with a pretty predictable one, guys, the Yankees have rattled off their last five games as wins in a row. As of recording this, they're whipping up on the Toronto Blue Jays. And it's safe to say we saw this one coming, Dom. What do you think about this so far? It's just the Yankees getting healthy. Glaber Torres came back earlier in the week. John Carlos Stanton and Gio Rochella came back earlier today. When this lineup's healthy, they're one of the best teams in all of baseball. They just haven't been healthy for the past almost month now, and that's why they were struggling. And the fact that they're now getting healthy, they're showing that they're a scary team. They're not going to catch up to the Rays, I don't think, but they're going to make it close. And they're, they're proving that they are one of the best teams in baseball. And the people that were doubting them because they were hurt are not looking too great right now. Yeah, it is not a fun time to be a Toronto Blue Jays fan. Uh, if you had any hope, it's it, it, it is fleeting. I mean, they're leading this game now. If they win this game, they actually eclipse the Blue Jays for second place in the AL East. Now, both these teams aren't very far back from the Rays, but like I'm going to have to agree with Don here and say that you know if we had a lot more time, a four game lead, a three and a half game lead, it wouldn't be much. It would be a little bit scary for Tampa Bay Rays fans, but only two weeks or even under that at this point, I think they're sitting pretty comfortable. Josh, what do you think about the Rays situation yeah. up at the top of AL East? I said it on the last episode. I'm very confident in what the Rays are capable of. They're going to hold on to this division. I'm not concerned, but it does stink to see the Yankees coming back and starting to get things going. As a Mets fan, you obviously hate to see that, but this just proves the Yankees. Yes, we call them the evil empire. They are evil in my opinion, but you look at the empire, this shows they're still the empire. They just had a tough scratch with some injuries. They're back. They're ready to go. And there's unfortunately probably going to do some damage in the playoffs, but I still think the Rays will come out on top. Yeah. And you could, you could, you could almost hear, I could actually hear the rumblings of Yankees fans storming back in to Twitter and all that with their team finally healthy. It's not going to be a fun sight for a lot of us, but you know, it's the Yankees. We've been dealing with them our entire lives like this. So it's just something we're pretty used to here on this podcast. Now, I'd like to move actually down past the Central. I want to take a look at the AL West. Uh, Dom, you highlighted this before we started rolling, but the Astros are not looking like the Astros we know. They're looking very human. What do, what do, you, what do you think about that and their struggle, losing eight of their last ten uh, since we last recorded? Well, this team had never really been playing great baseball throughout the year. They had one stretch of 10 games where I think they rattled off eight wins. But outside of that, they've been around 500 all year. And they just finished a big series with the Oakland Athletics, who have been the best team in this division for the entire season. And their bats have been hurt all year. Bregman hasn't played a ton. Jordan Alvarez has been out for basically the entire season. Michael Brantley was on the injured list for a little bit. They, they just have been hit by the injury bug. And then not to mention Garrett Cole left and Justin Verlander has been hurt all year. So it's not too surprising given what's gone down for the Astros to be below 500. A lot of people like me predicted them to not finish on top of the division in the season. And it, you'd think it'd be six and a half games back in a 60 game season, but that's where they stand. And they're, they're only a game and a half in front of the Seattle Mariners for that guaranteed playoff spot. And with the Indians in third place in their division at 26 and 21, and the Yankees in third place at the moment at 26 and 21, the the team that gets third place in the AL West is going to miss the playoffs. Without a doubt, Dom, I definitely have to agree with you with that. There, speaking on the Athletics, I do want to highlight something while we're staying in the West. Matt Chapman out for the year. Now, obviously an injury that is really unfortunate for the world of baseball. I consider him the best third baseman in baseball. I know a lot of people do. There's the argument with Arenado, but I, I feel like in a longer season, he may have been able to come back with such a shortened season and the required surgery. He's going to be missing the rest of the year. That's a big blow for an athletics team. Josh, what do you think this means for the athletics going forward towards the end of the season and even into the playoffs? Yeah, well, you hate to see a guy like Chapman go out. He's great for the game. He's just a, another bright young kid who likes to have fun on the baseball field and is very successful. But you get to the stretch here without Matt Chapman for Oakland. I just don't see them getting as far as they would have with Chapman, obviously. But I don't 
they'll win a series. I don't know if they'll win two. It's going to be a little tight. They'll probably end up facing Chicago, maybe Tampa in the playoffs and the second in the ALDS. And I don't know if they'll be able to get by either of those teams. For now, I'm going to keep us moving because I do want to take a look at that interesting AL Central. We had a lot to talk about with them. I know for a fact me and Dom were backing the Indians to finish with a playoff spot. Now, they still can, but we were looking to see them at a top two spot in that Central. They've lost their last six in a row, and the Twins, who Josh has been backing, have won their last seven. And I just want to highlight for the Twins, they're 21-5 in five at home this season. Best in the AL, without a doubt, rivaling with you know the Yankees in their short porch. So that, I, it's definitely interesting to see the Twins. They're only two games back on the White Sox. And the White Sox have won the last nine of their 10. Josh, what do you make of this AL Central? Do you, do you see anyone pulling ahead yet? Or is it still just a toss-up with such a limited time towards that postseason? First of all, I just want to thank you for calling out that short porch at Yankee Stadium. I love calling that out. You know, the Yankees like to get their left-handed hitters. They could hit the ball over that 314-foot right field wall. And I think it's kind of lame of the Yankees, but that's the way the Yankees like to operate. I do think, back to the AL Central now, Minnesota's a good team. Do I think they'll beat the Chicago White Sox with about 10 games left in the season, two games back? That's going to be a tough job. I don't know if they'll get there. Probably not, but... Come playoff time, if these two teams meet, I'll take Minnesota any day. Now, I'm going to put this out here. I'm, I, you know, it's not the hottest of takes to throw out there, but I think this AL Central is pretty set in stone. I mean, I don't, I don't see the Indians picking it up in time to jump into that second spot. So I actually, I actually think this is how these three teams are going to move into the playoffs. Dom, I'm curious what you're thinking about the White Sox, Twins, Indians. I know we both backed the Indians, even though they lost Clevenger to the Padres. What do you think about this AL Central? Is it going to stick the same way heading into the postseason, or do you see sort of switch-ups with 10 games remaining? Well, it seems that you and I were both wrong about the Indians. They're not going to finish on top of this division anymore. Their offense has not been good all year, but I expect them to improve a bit with their acquisitions they got in the Clevenger trade because Clevenger wasn't even really pitching for them. They're still winning. I was wrong. It happens. Can't always be right about everything. seems like the top two teams in this division are going to be the White Sox and the Twins. Interestingly enough, the White Sox and the Twins are playing today. Game hasn't started, of course. I know that the White Sox won the game last night. It was actually a low-scoring game. So really the team that ends up winning that series could find themselves in a good spot to win that division. And it seems like the four seed in this division is going to play at home in the first round of the playoffs of the wildcard round because Major League Baseball did announce that the top four teams will host the three-game wildcard series. So it's crucial for these teams to not only uh, continue to win down the stretch and try and win the division, but if they can try and play at home, because like you mentioned, the Twins are 21-5 and at home, and if they all of a sudden have to go to Yankee Stadium because they somehow pass them, they're in deep trouble. Two things off of what Dom said. First of all, I think I mentioned it on our last episode, how much I love Randy Dobnak on Minnesota. He's pitching today, and I feel confident that they're going to get that win. Big Randy Dobnak guy. Minnesota's going to win tonight and make it a one-game deficit in the standings. And about them being the four seed and having the home field advantage, like Leo said earlier, they're 21-5 and at home. Them being at home for that first series is really big for the Twins. Now, I do like I do like that we highlighted a Yankees twin series because we all remember last year how the Yankees crushed such a promising, surprising season from the twins last year. Uh, so it'd be really interesting to see them battle it out at, you know, if it is in the Bronx or out in Minnesota for a spot in the divisional series. Like Dom also hinted at, I want to highlight uh, MLB came out and said that the division series, championship series and the World Series are all going to be held at neutral sites and bubbles just to ensure safety, which I think is a smart move. Guys, I'm curious to you know if you have any sort of little comments about that move from the MLB. Nothing really to say. I mean, it, we kind of expected it for a while now. It was the smart move. It was just the more logical move. They couldn't do it earlier in the season because there's too many teams, too many games. You couldn't all put them in one spot. But now that they're going to get into the playoffs when there's less teams that they need to have in the bubble and they can all play at the same spot. It's just going to be much easier on them and it's a lot safer for them. So we'll have no delays in the postseason, hopefully, and it'll be great. I think it's a good idea just to be cautious and with no fans really allowed in at home games throughout the year. I think it makes sense. 
There's also an argument that the last player to actually test positive for the virus was on the Mets earlier in August. It's been a long time since a player in the MLB actually contracted the virus. The players have been doing their job. The last couple of tests that have gone positive ended up being false positives. So there is definitely an argument that these teams could be playing at home and then traveling. But I think that putting them in the bubbles and doing that makes sense. But I'm going to pose a question back to you guys is that there's no off days between the wildcard round, the DS, and the CS. Only off days in the entire postseason are in between games two and three in the World Series and then five and six if we get there. What do you guys think of that? Because I think that's a little absurd and a lot to ask out of these players because, in my opinion, the quality of baseball is not going to be as good with less off days in the postseason than normal. I, I definitely have to agree with you there, Don. It's kind of crazy to think about it because when you get to playoff baseball, it's such a whole different animal versus regular season baseball, especially from the pitching standpoint, because you can have guys that you usually have come out as starting pitchers come into games to relieve. And it's such, there's a bunch of strategy around that. You know, we all know how, you know, to highlight last year, how Clayton Kershaw came in in that NLDS series against the Nationals. You know, we're not going to see things like that this time around with such little breaks. You have to save a guy like Kershaw for the next game ahead. And you really only will see him come out to pitch in relief or any star starting pitcher come to pitch in relief in maybe a do or die game. And then even if you win that game, it hurts you going forward into the next series because he had to. He had, had no rest when he came into relief and pitching. So I definitely agree with you that I think that's a bit absurd just because of it's such a weird timetable for the season. But then again, when we think about it, playoff baseball isn't isn't at a crazy window versus, you know, like the NBA, for say, for example, that those playoffs start what? Like usually start back at the beginning of May, late April and finish up around June, around the draft time. Having them all the way up here in September is definitely weird. But playoff baseball would is usually take place around this time. You know, October baseball, it's a little bit early. But why why squeeze the playoffs in so tight with the window for the normal playoffs being close by in the first place? So that's how I feel about it. Josh, I'm curious what you're thinking. I'm going to stop rambling here about that. I think it's really interesting. I think it's kind of cool. I think it adds a new element to the postseason that we've never really seen before. And look, let's be honest here. 2020 baseball season, kind of a weird year. It's going to have a bit of an asterisk next to it. It's a question of how much you want to put emphasis on that asterisk. But obviously, 2020 is not a typical Major League Baseball season. So let's add in another unique element and see if it's something that we think adds a fun element to the postseason that we'll have long term. Why not try it and see what happens? All right. Well, that's definitely Dom. I definitely like that question you posed. I'm going to move us on so we can wrap up the AL real quick. I'm going to hide. I'm going to, I'm going to take this restart new segment here. We're going to each highlight a team going forward that we're going to like keep a close eye on, keep a good watch on. I'm going to start this off and let the other two sort of think it out. I'm going to highlight the Mariners. Uh, like Dom mentioned, they are, are sniffing for a playoff spot with the Astros falling flat on their face. They're just one and a half games back from the Mariners. No one's probably going to catch Oakland. They're six and a half ahead of the Astros. But that second spot, I think the Mariners could definitely go up and snag it. They're only a game and a half back, but they do have to play the Padres in the three-game series uh, this weekend. And then the all or die series that I definitely want our listeners to focus on, they play the Astros at home in a three-game series in the middle of next week. So I think that series, barring they get swept by the Padres and the Astros bounce back, is going to be decide who takes that second spot into the playoffs. So the Mariners, you guys got life. Shout out Bennett. I know you're going to be real excited to watch these games. So I'm going to highlight the Mariners. All right. I'm going to highlight the team that I was talking about last time we had a podcast. I still feel like this is the team that I think is probably going to win the world series. And I'm still very confident in this team. And that's the Tampa Bay Rays. They've been struggling a little bit down their stretch, down the stretch, losing four of their last six. They got a couple games left. They got two against the nationals, five against the Orioles, three against the Mets, three against the Phillies. Those are some good, not great baseball teams that they should be beating, not winning every game. I don't expect them to sweep those series, but they're going to pick up some wins down the stretch. And I want to see them hopefully turn it around, gain some confidence heading into the postseason. These are teams that they should be beating if they want to win a World Series. And I'm just going to keep a close eye on them and see if they're going to pick things back up. 
I'm not going to choose a specific team, but I'm going to look at the teams that win their divisions and see how much they win them by and see what seeds they get. Because we already highlighted that the four and the five matchup is likely going to be the Twins and the team that wins the East, which we all assume is going to be the New York Yankees. And you don't want to face either of those two teams coming out of that series in the NLDS. And the winner of that series is going to play the one seed. And it's actually going to be interesting because with no home field advantage, once you go into the bubble, which these bubbles will be in Southern California, you honestly don't want to be the one seed in the American League this year, which is so weird to say. So whether or not the Rays, the White Sox slash the Twins or the Oakland Athletics get the one seed or the two seed or the three seed is what I'm going to be looking forward to here down the stretch in these last two weeks of the season. I haven't read too much into it yet, but I'd assume that when we get to the times where they're playing in the bubble, they're just going to make the assigned home team batting last in every inning, the team who would have been the home team in a normal year, correct? Yes, I think so. so. Yeah. yeah. Either All that right. or the top seed is going to be home team every time. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so that'll definitely be something to look out for. We'll make sure to uh, break that to you once we get closer to the playoffs. We're still, you know, a couple, a week and a half-ish out. So that'll be interesting to see. I'm going to move us over to the National League really quickly. Uh, when we look at the table, there are a couple interesting things that I want to highlight. Uh, first of all, I know, Dom, when we take a look at that NL Central, you were one of the advocates for the Cincinnati Reds making a fight back to that second spot. They are only a game and a half back. They've been playing pretty solid baseball. The Cardinals, both of them are still neck and neck. I'm curious if you're, what your opinion is of that spot, that second spot in the NL, at least if it's changed. If you still think it's going to be the Reds or the Cardinals, what are you thinking? I still like the Reds. The Reds are better than the Cardinals at almost every position outside of the bullpen. First base with Paul Goldschmidt is one of the few exceptions in the field. The Reds are one of the best teams in the National League on paper. And I said on the last podcast, and I'll say it again, I'm a believer in talent producing. I think this team's going to find a way to gain those two games on the St. Louis Cardinals or possibly even find a way to sneak in as one of those seven or the eight seeds. And you do not want to face the Reds in a three-game series because you're getting Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo in those three games. And you got to beat two of the three of those guys. Now, if you can find a way to get to the bullpen early, you're going to put yourself in a good spot. But I, I like the Reds. I do. All right. Yeah, that's definitely it's definitely an interesting uh, something interesting to look forward to. I'm going to take a moment to highlight the NL East, um, just like what we're going to talk about later. And it's going to I'm going to be dreading talking about it with my Eagles. It seems like the city of Philadelphia just has injury problems, which is great. It seems like we sold our soul to some demigod to win that Super Bowl back in 2017. And it's even affecting our baseball team now for some reason. Uh, Reese Hoskins is now on the IL with a forearm strain. We missed him for much of that series of the Miami Marlins. JT Real Muto missed the last, I believe, three to four games of that seven-game series of the Marlins. We ended up dropping five of the seven of those games. Uh, Spencer Howard also went out of the game early in that contest at, I believe, the first game of a doubleheader. And, you know, when you have pitching problems and all these problems with injuries, it really hurts when you're playing two days of doublehead, doubleheader games where you just need to win them. And I hate that I predicted it, but this is just what happens when we play the Miami Marlins. We ended up losing five of those. They're actually a game and a half ahead of us now for the second spot in the National League East. Do I think the Phillies will make it up as we're getting healthier? We're, oh, I forgot I even got a highlight. Zach Wheeler didn't even pitch the entire series against the Miami Marlins. He had a broke a fingernail getting dressed or something stupid. I still can't believe that is a thing. Uh, he's fine. He's going to be pitching. He's going to be pitching against the Mets, I believe, tomorrow, if not the next day. But the, what I want to highlight is, do I think the Phillies will jump back and take that second spot back in the NL East? Yes, I still think they're going to be able to reclaim it. They, they play the Mets right now. The only struggling series I see them have is against the Rays. They'll probably drop two of the three. I hope they don't get swept. Uh, so I definitely want to highlight that. The Phillies uh, faltering, losing the last five of their seven. Uh, Josh, I want to go to you, though. I don't want to stick on that at least too much. I know you want to talk about Dom's team and the Padres. What, what have you been seeing out of the Padres there? Uh, well, before we get to the Padres, there is one thing in the NL East we do need to talk about. Let's not let this get overlooked. There was some pretty big news coming out of New York the other day. A guy by the name of Steve Cohen, I don't know if you've heard of him, spent about two and a half billion dollars to purchase the New York Mets. He will be voted in to be the New York Mets and to be the owner of the New York Mets in November. 
And once he is, he will be the richest owner in Major League Baseball. He's going to spend money like crazy. And the Mets are going to be a force to be reckoned with finally because the Wilpons will be out of the Mets organization. At least they're only going to be 5% owners of the organization. And Steve Cohen's going to be running the show. And he's going to bring the Mets to the promised land. And I'm looking forward to it. This season doesn't matter anymore. I don't need to care about it anymore. Steve Cohen's coming. He's going to save the world. All I just want to. I just want to highlight. I want to skip over that because I've heard. Uh, I've heard Josh say st- so many times, stupidly enough, that the Mets are going to sign JT Real Muto, and I don't want to hear it anymore or on this podcast. Oh right, so, I forgot to mention Steve Cohen is going to pay JT Real Muto. Thank you uh, for reminding me that, Leo. Uh, not, I not, not, I refuse to believe this in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Let's move to the NLS. That is definitely something we talk about at a later date. I want. Oh, okay, Dom. Never mind. So Steve Cohen. He needs to get approved by the MLB owners first. Let's make that very clear. This is not a set and stone thing. He has put in an offer to buy him. The Mets are accepting the offer. That's correct. And now the owners have to accept him. And there's been some rumbles around that some of the owners don't like Steve Cohen. So this is not a 100% plan. But if this yes. goes through, this is a huge However. thing for the Mets. I think it will go through. I think it will go through. But it's important to know we are journalists. We say we say it's the truth. And it is not at 100% certain thing that Steve Cohen becomes young. We'll find out in November. However, Steve Cohen owning the New York Mets will be great for Major League Baseball because bringing the Mets back to a top-level team in Major League Baseball in that large market of New York, the Mets have a major fan base, obviously, being a team in New York. Yes, the Yankees have a bigger fan base, but the Mets are still the Mets. They probably have one of the top five largest fan bases in Major League Baseball, I'd assume. That's a number off the top of my head, but I'm assuming it's somewhere around there. The Mets being good again is good for Major League Baseball. It's that simple. It'll help make Major League Baseball a lot of money, and the owners like a lot of money. Therefore, I believe they will approve Steve Cohen. Now, moving on to the NL West, let's talk about the Padres a little bit. They got a big series right now against the Dodgers. They got a big win last night. Trent Grisham absolutely destroyed Clayton Kershaw on that pitch, and the Padres pick up two more wins. Should I even say what happens? Am I jinx it? Like, I I don't know. It's it's a little scary for Dodger fans right now. Little scary. Oh, what do you no, think about Dodgers this, Dom? Fans. Well, you saw yesterday. If you spent any time on Twitter, Dodgers fans were a mess yesterday. It was it was it was bad. They. They can sense that the Padres are right on their heels, and it's not like years previous where the team, the Dodgers, were like in 2018 where the Dodgers were like, eh, teetering on the edge. And then the Arizona Diamondbacks came in, but then the Dodgers ended up winning the division late. Same with the Rockies in 2018. I mean, 2017 for the Diamondbacks, 2018. This year, these teams are significantly above 500. They're the class of the NL. And this is supposed to be the year where the Dodgers were the, the favorite. And I still think they are. They're the best team. But the best team right now in the National League is the San Diego Padres, and that's indisputable. They've won nine of their last ten games. They're on an eight-game winning streak right now. They just owned the Dodgers last night. They beat Kershaw for the first time since 2013. Wow. wow. He'd started 15 games, I think. Wow. Wait, no, he'd started, he'd started 19 games since his last loss wow. against, the, against the Padres. So this team's different. Uh, they're firing on all, on all cylinders. Starting pitchers are giving quality innings. The bullpen has been one of the best in the league ever since they uh, they fell apart in Arizona. And the lineup is one of the best in all baseball. I believe they're the highest scoring offense in all baseball. Yes, they're they're tied with the Braves for most runs scored, although the Braves have one less game played than the Padres. So the Padres, they look legit. They look like the clear-cut number two team in the NL, and right now they're the best team. But it's all about what it's like going into the postseason. Yeah, hopefully the Padres aren't peaking too early. Now, I definitely wanted to let Josh and Dom go off about the Padres because when we highlight the NL, like we highlight the AL, the Padres are definitely the team to look at right now. Like they mentioned, the crazy series versus the Dodgers, the first one against Kershaw in 2013. I'm going to highlight they've won their last eight in a row, nine in their last 10. 
They are absolutely on fire. Look like a lock. They're definitely a lock for the second spot. It's going to be up to, you know, the fans to see whether the Dodgers and the Padres, who will be the first seed. These are definitely the powerhouses of the NL right now. I would say the Braves, if they weren't still as injured as they are and a couple question marks. I do definitely want to highlight the Cubs, though. The Cubs are playing good baseball. We highlighted how they're still at the, they're still four games up in the NL Central. And they still haven't had a lot of great offensive production, but the pitching is just marvelous from them. And it's going to get them to a nice postseason spot. And I'm one of the advocates for thinking that postseason pitching is definitely what wins you games. That's what we saw with the Nationals, in my opinion, last year. So they're definitely a team to watch for. I'm curious what you guys make of the Cubs uh, going into the postseason because they're definitely a lot for a spot somewhere on the board. Absolutely. You guys know I love the Cubs. They've been my team to win the NL for the last couple of weeks and I'm sticking with it. I am confident in them, even though they're just five and five in their last 10, but they have so much talent on that team. Like Dom said about the Reds, you just got to believe in talent and trust the talent's going to turn it around. The Cubs have so much talent. There's no way at least if one guy just heats up one guy, it's a different team. I'm a little concerned that their offense is definitely taking a slide since the beginning of the season. Uh, I think through like the first 20 games in the season, they were 10 games above 500. Since then, they've played under 500 baseball. So if they can play a good final week and a half, I'll believe in them a little more. I don't see them making it out of the division series, though. They, they should they should win their three-game series with, with Darvish and then possibly even Alec Mills who just threw the no-hitter or Kyle Hendricks going in the two games. It's going, to, it's going to be Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. I wanted to make sure I mentioned the no-hitter. Yeah. So those two Good guys, they, sh- they should win their, their three-game series. All right. Well, I definitely gave you guys some time to highlight the Padres. I'm going to take a moment before we wrap up baseball to highlight one more team. We talked about them. I wanted to talk about them more. The Cincinnati Reds, like we mentioned, a game and a half back in the central for that second spot. Uh, I want to highlight their, their schedule going forward because it's definitely super interesting. They have, they're playing, they've been, they're playing the pirates right now in a series. They're actually up four one. They won the first game last night. They'll have one more game against them, but then the problems begin. They have to play at, they have to go play against the white Sox and the twins in six of their last, uh, I believe 11 games here. So definitely, this is definitely going to be the test for the reds. If they want to be a playoff team, they will beat the class of the AL central. If they, if they falter, they're probably out of the playoff spot. So that's definitely another matchup to watch going forward along with those Padres. Uh, guys, do you have any fleeting comments before we move on to the other seamed ball sport with football? No, I'm ready uh, to you talk up, football. <laughs> you brought up a good point with the Reds. They're going to have to earn their way in, and if they earn their way in, they're going to be confident in themselves heading into the playoffs. There you go. All right, now moving over to football. This has definitely, uh, definitely been a very interesting week in uh in football, um, I'm going to start off. I think a good thing we could do is we each highlight uh, a game from week one that we want to pick out and dissect a little bit of game maybe we found interesting. Sometimes, yes, it may end us be uh, end up us be highlighting our own team's game if it's interesting enough. But I'm going to personally try to stay away from that as much as I can. Uh, Josh, I'm going to go to you first. What game week one were you uh, excited to watch, anticipated to watch, or surprised you? I hate that you're putting me in this situation because you keep making me talk about the teams that I talked about on our last episode. But come on, the Seahawks just looked absolutely incredible. Russell Wilson looked phenomenal against a pretty good defense in Atlanta. I think they're an underrated defense, and Russell Wilson dropped 38 on them. He went, what, 31 of 35 for 300 and change, four TDs. He was absolutely lights out. Russell Wilson... Not only do I think the Seahawks are winning the Super Bowl, give me Russell Wilson to win the MVP now as well. All right. We got some hot takes. Josh, I did like that you highlight the Russell Wilson stat line. He tied for the third best, I believe, completion. I think it was completion percentage or something. I'm actually off the top of my head. It's third best something that was like all time. I believe it was something along the lines of completion percentage in, in a regular season game or something like that. Seattle absolutely demolished uh, the Falcons and their high-powered offense, and it was it was a joy to watch as a Russell Wilson fantasy owner. So I definitely enjoyed watching it. I know Ben enjoyed watching it back home to shout him out again. Dom, I know you had an interesting game for your Rams against the Cowboys. Is there is the, is that the game you want to highlight going into this, or you got a different game you were looking at uh, week one? 
No, I, I will briefly mention it, though. The Rams' offensive line actually looked really solid, which was the weakness of the team last year, going up against a good Cowboys D-line. They, they gave Goff some pretty decent production and made some decent running holes, and that's why they ended up holding the ball for the majority of the time. What I want to highlight is actually from the AFC South, and it's the Indianapolis Colts going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we all probably thought that the Colts were going to win this game. Uh, everyone was pretty high on the Colts this year. Whether you had them winning the division or not, you definitely had them being significantly better than the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Jaguars, their offense looked pretty solid. I mean, Minshew Mania, he didn't get the ball that often, but when he did, he went 19 of 20 for 173 yards and three touchdowns. He was sacked four times because the Colts do have a good defense, but he was super efficient with throwing the ball. James Robinson, he looked good, 16 carries for 62 yards. The the defense, they 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 were bending, but they weren't breaking. And it was just classic Phillip Rivers football. He had a great game. Couldn't find a way to get the performance done because they found ways to to not score. They had a missed field goal. They they didn't score multiple times in the red zone. He threw some bad picks. Uh, I'm a little more concerned about the Colts. Uh, following this game than what I was because I predict them to win the division and that doesn't look so good right now. I know a lot of us were very high on the Colts uh, going into the season. Uh, one of the reasons to be a little, uh, besides the performance against the Jaguars, to be a little hesitant with the Colts now, Marlon Mack did tear his Achilles in that week one game. The silver lining of sorts is that Jonathan Taylor did look very good for you know his first game in the NFL, it's definitely a great thing to see for anyone who took him in fantasy and for the Colts. Me? Not, yeah, yes, you. I, I was yes, still I was. the highest scoring. I was still the highest scoring team in our league, Leo, with a running back who didn't really even uh, <laughs> see the bulk of the carries, which just is a testament to uh, how good my team was. You were the second highest oh. scoring team in the league, but unfortunately. Yes. You went up against the highest scoring team. Yes. That, that's just unfortunate. That is a, Once that is a Jonathan tough point. Taylor starts getting those carries, he is going to be forced to be reckoned with, though. He I definitely, is I definitely, at his best when he gets his most carries. We saw that when he was at Wisconsin. He's just an absolute bell cow. Dude's a freak. I think he's going to be lights out for this team. Sleeper offensive think, rookie of the year pick. I think that's a hot take, but I will say I think it I is think interesting. I think he will. Sleeper pick. I, I still I think it's interesting. What I thought was really interesting to see out of them is we know we all know uh, the Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin is the power running back, just brute force his way through everybody in that Big Ten. What I saw out of Jonathan Taylor was a pass catcher, which is very very important going forward. He caught a couple of screens. I believe he scored a touchdown off one of those screens for a long uh, run when Marlon Mack went out. So if he can take even those sort start, sort of passing plays from Naheem Hines, who's more used to those passing plays. The sky's the limit for a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Now, I'm going to move on to uh, my game, the highlight of the week. I know who these two think I'm, what game I'm going to highlight, but I'm not going to even talk about that game right now because I don't want to. I'm going to talk about the Bears and the Lions. What a game that was. That was a crazy game. you got a team like the Lions who were up, I believe, 23-6 at one point in the second half of this game. I turned that game off. I was done watching. I was like, all right, this is Mitch in the offense that we knew was going to happen. This is exactly how we thought this was going to go down. And then I turned back in at the end of the game. In the game, it's a fourth quarter. The Lions have the ball three under three minutes. I'm like, all right, they're just going to run the clock out, even though they almost blew this game. What do they do? They go ahead and throw a pick inside their own field. And then I'm going in my head, oh, okay, it's still Mitch Trubisky, all right? There's nothing to worry about here. They're not going to go win the game. What does he do? He throws a touchdown to Anthony Miller on, on a freaking line to the right pie line for a touchdown. They're up. 27 to 23, not with like less than two minutes to go in the game. And I'm like, there's no way that I just watched that. But I know Matthew Stafford, and he's led himself a couple of fourth quarter comebacks in his time. And what do they go and do? March down the field. They have seven seconds on the clock, a perfect pass from Stafford to rookie DeAndre Swift, who, mind you, already scored a touchdown in this game. And what does he do? He had way too many butterfingers in the halftime locker room. He just drops it flat out right at the goal line to win them the game with six seconds left. And they end up losing this game 27 to 23, a shocker, uh, a complete shocker for me. And honestly, probably one of the coolest games to watch from week one. Guys, what were your immediate reactions to this game? Because I knew I was, I don't even know Bears or Lions fan, and I thought this game was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I can't believe Swift got that ball. Yeah, 
I definitely uh, don't have some money on the Lions finishing in front of the Bears in the standings for this year. And I definitely didn't, for my for my other football show, pick the Lions. So a uh, special someone was very distraught watching that pass. I can only imagine how the Lions fans felt. Uh, they But the, the whole 12 of them still alive in the country? You know, they their fans, I know a couple of Lions fans, that they're good, loyal fans, but... Man, that that was such a tough loss to to have a huge lead against the team with a struggling offense just to allow them to get right back in the game and then drive down the field and make the perfect play just to have your guy drop it. It he was open too. It just it looked like he caught a little far back and the ball tapped the helmet and it popped out, which was so tough to watch and man, you got to feel for the the few uh, Lions fans that are out there. They they go through a lot. Absolutely. But I got to give a quick shout out to a good friend of the show, my good friend Caleb, who we all know. Big Bears fan. He was lucky enough to see the Bears live money line at plus 1500, was able to put a little <laughs> money on that and was able to make a couple of bucks off of that. So his blind stupidity and loyalty was able to finally pay off for him and make him a couple bucks. Congratulations, Caleb. I'm really happy for you. Mikkel Trubisky is still not a franchise quarterback. I definitely think that uh, some fans are going to take this out of way out of proportion because we know the Bears friends are all along the spectrum with such a big fan base. There are going to be people who are saying this is Mitch's breakout game. I personally am right with you there, Josh. This is just a needle in the haystack kind of performance. And he was playing terrible, terrible football until yeah. it came down to it at the end, which, you know, you can give it to him. Hey, you know what? Fourth quarter comeback. There you go. Even though you got the ball given to you on a silver platter. You won the football game. I know I know that my Eagles didn't win the football game, so I am not going to talk to you about winning football games, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, anyways, before I start getting angry about that Eagles game, we're going to bring up another segment. Guys, what player this week you know, surprised you, shocked you with their performance? Dom, I'm going to go to you first. Was there a player that stood out in their matchup to you as just an amazing performance this week in week one? Uh, I'll go with Devontae Adams, who's also on my fantasy team. Sorry to uh, yes. rub that in once again. Yep. Thank but, you, uh, Devon- Yeah, Devontae Adams. He had 14 receptions, 156 yards, and two touchdowns. So everyone knows Devontae Adams is amongst the league best in terms of wide receivers. And the Vikings, they basically shipped out all of their, their defensive backs, or at least cornerbacks, and it showed. And Devontae Adams, he went off. Aaron Rodgers, he went off. And the Packers, they, they, they look like a good team. I think this says a little bit more about the Vikings' defense than it does about the Packers' offense. But got to give props to Devontae Adams. He, he was a monster in week one. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. It was painful to watch that on the other side of my uh, fantasy bracket. Uh, Josh, before I get more angry at that, move to you. What player stood out to you in this week one? Well, there were someone who really stood out to me, a guy who I've been a big fan of for a really long time now, a guy who was drafted very highly, but I think was still underappreciated entering the NFL draft, should have been drafted higher. Big guy, big size, great speed, great physicality. You all think I'm going to say Josh Allen right now. I'm actually not. I'm going to rub it in Leo's face again and say Chase Young. I think this guy's an absolute superstar. I've been saying it for so long that I think he's the best defensive prospect that the NFL has seen since Bruce Smith came to the draft in 1985. This guy is a lock to win defensive rookie of the year. He is an absolute superstar. He will put up double-digit sacks. He already got a sack and a half against the Eagles. He's going to put up double-digit sacks this year. He'll put up double-digit sacks for the next 10 years at least. Guy's a star, future Hall of Famer, already get his bust ready in Canton. This guy is fantastic. Wow, you, you really just made a Canton reference after one game. Okay. Uh, Absolutely. I've been I saying sure, it before he got drafted. I sure hope he could get a sack on a 47-year-old Jason Peters and a guy who sure, played rugby absolutely. in college. I really hope he could get a sack against those guys on the tackles. Um, sack and a half and a forced fumble. Uh, but yes, yeah. yes, I'm fully, aware, uh, I'm fully aware of all of Chase Young's stats. I was watching them live. Anyways, I'm going to move along <laughs> from that Eagles game again. I'm going to highlight a guy that I also have money riding on this year uh, against a couple of people, Josh Jacobs. Uh, the Raiders uh, came out, went to Carolina. A lot of people didn't think they would win that game in Carolina. 
there's a lot of question marks with that team. They won with flying colors. It was a close game, but it, I didn't think they scored this many points. 34 to 30. Josh Jacobs, three touchdowns. He had 25 carries, a huge workload for a second-year player, 93 yards. The guy just absolutely owned the red zone for the Raiders. That's the reason they won this game. And it's really nice to see that in a bet where I put $30 that this man would finish above Aaron Jones in fantasy. The guy went out and had a three-touchdown game to begin his good bet. year. That's definitely a good bet. I liked it. On the other side, to highlight Christian McCaffrey, you know, a guy that we knew was going to perform to these standards Exactly what I thought was going to happen. You know, he had an almost 100-yard rushing day, two touchdowns, but his team failed him like we all probably think they are going to, and it's just a disappointment. Now, that's that's week one encapsulated. I, okay, Josh, did you have something to say real quick? Yeah, you mentioned a guy named Josh, so i got to mention another guy named Josh. Josh Allen oh, looked yes. pretty damn good. All right, he went 33 of 46, put up over 300 yards, first 300-yard passing game in his career. He looked good. He was really accurate with the ball, except for that one miss to John Brown in the end zone. He looked pretty good. To all those people who say that he's inaccurate, that 33 of 46 might show you a little something there. Maybe it does. Maybe you just want to keep trash-talking him. He'll prove you wrong. Let's see what happens. Now, Dom, I don't know what you're thinking about Josh Allen. I'm, I'm going to cut you off real quick. I'll let you go, Dom. I'll, the only time that I watched a chunk of Josh Allen, I saw him miss a wide-open receiver in the back of the red zone, uh, the end zone in that game, and they're also playing the Jets. So I'm going to wait till they play an actual secondary, personally, to throw out my Josh Allen slander. Dom, I see you nodding ahead a little bit. What do you think about that? Josh Allen is very talented. Josh Allen is fun to watch. He fumbled twice this game. He played the Jets, who, Josh, you have said are garbage. Many the times before. Terrible. So, I, I I firmly believe that the Bills are the third best team in the AFC behind the, behind the Chiefs Absolutely. and the Ravens. I think there's a pretty steep gap between one and two. I mean, between Absolutely. one, two, and then three. And then there's an even steeper gap between three and everyone else. Uh, if Josh Allen performs like how he did, the Bills have a chance to make the AFC championship game and go further than that. But he's got to find a way to limit the fumbles. It's been an issue. But his ability to run the football and throw the football at times is so good. And he, if he puts it all together, he's an MVP candidate for sure. The thing with the fumbles for me is, yes, they were plays where he shouldn't have necessarily fumbled the ball. you gotta be, you got to hold the ball tight and you like that. And Josh isn't really the best at that. But we know he's not the best at that. It's been a problem since he got into the league. Stop calling the quarterback sweep. It doesn't work. Brian Dable needs to understand that that's a play that he can't call five times a game. Maybe call it once every two or three games when you need it in that type of situation to get Josh going. We know that Josh says that he needs to take a hit or two to feel like he's really into the game to get his juices flowing. But give him a hit in a different way where he's not going to cough the ball up. Like We know that this is a weakness of his. Stop calling it so often. It just doesn't seem that complicated to me. But Bill's offensive, quarter, Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, just doesn't want to listen to that i don't know now one thing i'll say before we uh, move along to week two so about the bill i do want to highlight zach boss devil Sing- devin singletary look like a very very formidable one-two punch i'm going to be excited to see that going forward the bills definitely look like the powerhouse we expected them to be but i will caution our listeners they did play a bottom three team in the afc and guys let's face it the nfl at this point uh so probably once they play, but i will I will also say that I do think Singletary and Moss will look much better down the stretch later in the season when Bill's left guard, John Feliciano, comes back from injury. He is a key to that offensive line. He's the dog in there that really gets the juices flowing, and he's going to be big when he comes back. We'll move Cody Ford back to right tackle, and he will be great for this team. Uh, and imagine, having, in the run game. imagine having offensive line struggles. Couldn't, could not uh, <clears throat> be me. Uh, anyways, let's move along to that week two. Guys, I'm going to go to you for another segment we're going to try to do. Um, I'm actually – actually, I'm going to wait a second. What I want to do here is I definitely want to highlight uh, everyone's favorite game day, Thursday. I want to highlight the Thursday night game just a little bit, get some opinions from you guys. Uh, this week's matchup is going to be the young buck, Burrow, versus the uh, bad buck – oh, excuse me, sorry uh, – unproven buck, Baker Mayfield. Uh, it's going to be Brown, Cincinnati Bengals. This is usually uh, not a fun game to watch. Most Thursday night games aren't going to be fun to watch. The only reason I think this is going to be fun to watch is because 
I think Joe Burrow is already going to prove that he's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield in this game, and I have the Bengals winning this game because I think Baker Mayfield is trash. He showed it last week against given you know a Super Bowl contender, but that's my hot take. Uh, guys, I'm curious what you're thinking about what I just said out loud or this matchup for Thursday night. Donald, go to go to you first for this one. Uh, yeah, I think that Baker definitely is a little overrated in terms of what everyone says. I think that you're you're underrating him just a bit. And I think this is a litmus test for both teams because I think the Browns' defense isn't as good as the Chargers' defense, and I certainly know that the Bengals' defense isn't nowhere near as good as the Ravens' defense. So I think this is going to be a higher-scoring matchup in terms of these two teams scoring points than what they did in Week 1. We'll see where these two teams stand. I'm going to side with the Browns. I think they're significantly more talented. Uh, I'm super excited to see Joe Burrow, though. I think future's bright for this kid. Uh, this needs a little more protection on the offensive line, which I'm sure they'll get for him in the years coming. Leo, I disagree with pretty much every single thing you said. Nice. Um, I've been a Baker <laughs> nice. Mayfield fan since he was at Oklahoma. I think he's an absolute stud. I never use the word moxie except for when I'm talking about Baker Mayfield. I think he just has moxie. He has that kind of flair and energy to him that you just don't see in anyone else. And I think that now that you get him with a real head coach in Kevin Stefanski, it's really going to change things. You can't judge him because of one bad performance against one of the best defenses in the league in Baltimore. Look, he didn't look good. This is his test this year. He now has Kevin Stefanski. He's playing against a less... A worse defense than the Ravens defense in the Cincinnati defense. I will say that I do love Joe Burrow and that Cincinnati should have won that game and Joe Burrow should be furious that they didn't win that game. A.J. Green did not need to push off in the end zone there. Randy Bullock made one of the worst field goal attempts I've ever seen in my entire life to tie it after that. And Joe Burrow should just be furious at that one. I think Burrow has a lot of talent. I think he's going to be really good. Do I think they'll win this game? Maybe it's possible. I don't know if I would say that they can, but I'd take the safe pick on the Browns. I think Baker has a bounce-back game. I think he's humiliated after the performance against the Ravens. Give me the Browns. Yo, that's crazy. We're giving him litmus tests in his third year still. Wow, can't believe that. It's also crazy. Yeah, you deserve it after you have Freddie Kitchens, Hugh Jackson as your head coach. You can only... You can only blame them so much, guys. I think Baker Mayfield's had plenty of limits tests, and he's just going to prove what he's been proving the first two years, more, more over and more over. Good you know, quarterbacks have great second. Give him a chance. Good quarterbacks have great second years, and we've seen it from so many quarterbacks like Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes. I don't. I'm not giving Baker Mayfield any more of my time. He's going to be the third best quarterback out of OU once Rattler goes in the draft. And that's all I'm going to say on the matter. Going I understand into, where you're coming from. However, you can't judge a man for what he did with Freddie Kitchens. Because Freddie Kitchens does not belong as an NFL head coach. Mike Greenberg said on ESPN today that he would not want Adam Gase coaching his fifth grade son's football team. I could say the same thing about Freddie Kitchens. I don't think he's even worthy of that job. He's a terrible football coach. You can't blame Baker for anything that happened last year because I really think it's all... Brady Kitchen's fault. He has a coach now in Kevin Stefanski. Just wait. Give him a chance this year. If he doesn't perform well this year, Leo, I will agree with you. But give him the shot this year. He is a real head coach. Let's see what he can do. What a take from Josh. Wow, I don't say that very often. What a take. Thank you, Dom. I appreciate it. You know, I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud, but just Dak played great with Jason Garrett. Baker Mayfield sucks no matter what coach you put him with. That's all I'm going to say on that. Now, going forward, moving into week two, guys, is there a matchup that you want to highlight going into this week? I know we already talked about Thursday night. We're always going to talk about Thursday night as our podcast will come out near Thursday night football. What's a matchup in week two that you are looking with microscope on? Yeah, I'll start, and then I'll give another one if you guys don't mention it, just because I'm looking a little bit under the radar here. I'm going to start with New York Giants traveling to Chicago to face the Bears. you got two big market teams. Uh, teams that have young quarterbacks that not a lot of people outside their fan base believe in. They do. And you've got two defenses. The Giants actually looked pretty solid against the the Steelers. Had opportunities to win that game. Didn't quite quite pull them off. And now they're playing the Bears. you got to see, like, hey, this is another test for Danny Dimes and that offense. The, The offense was much more simplified 
this year than what it was last year. And I think that's going to set up Daniel Jones to succeed a little bit more. And I'm looking at this game. It's going to be low scoring. That's fairly obvious. These two offenses aren't prolific by any means, and their defenses are better. Super excited for that game. For me, the game that... Sorry. For me, the game that stands out is going to be the first of two games that are very important to this podcast. Luckily, we are three people on this podcast who all support different teams, and we're lucky enough to have consecutive weeks where our teams are playing each other. Before the Rams are going to lose in Buffalo next week, they're going to travel to Philly and face off against Leo's Eagles. It's a battle of a team that's 1-0 in 0-1, which... I think we expected the other team to be 1-0 and the Rams to be 0-1 coming into this matchup, but Eagles have something to prove in this one. Eagles have something to prove in this one after taking the tough loss to the Washington football team, excuse me, the Washington football team, and Brandon Nimmo just hit a home run. It's 2-1 Phillies now. going to throw that in there, but (laughs) Eagles are going to win this game. I'm very confident in that one. The Eagles are going to have a bounce-back performance. I expect a big, big day from Carson Wentz. Dom, I'm going to let you go first with this game. Uh, say something because I've got a, a lot to say about the Eagles. So I'm going to let you run with the Rams side of this matchup. Uh, the, the one strength of the Rams team coming into the year was the defensive line, and that really showed against the Cowboys. They really limited what the Cowboys' offense was able to do. And if you watched even just a small part of the Eagles' Reds, the Eagles football team game, uh, I need to do a drink. I need to do a drink for that. Uh, the the Eagles' offensive line stunk, and that you can't win games when you can't protect your quarterback. And I think that the Eagles are going to struggle to protect Carson Wentz again. I don't think the defensive line of the Rams is as good as the Reds, as good as the football team is. <laughs> <laughs> you need to do another drink for that. Oh, man, it's tough. Uh, I, I'm looking at the Rams, and I think they got a good shot at winning this game just because of the Eagles' offensive line. They're going to feast. The one thing I will say about the Rams, though, that I've been very critical of in the past couple of years is I've been very, very critical of Jalen Ramsey. He did impress me on Sunday night. He made a couple of very nice plays. Obviously, that pass interference call was a little bit of a show there, but... He did make a couple plays that stood out to me. He I looked good and won an Oscar. He looked good and won an Oscar. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so when we talk about the Eagles football team game, uh, we start. We actually ended up having to play a man who decided to play football purely because of his size. He actually played rugby at right tackle. Uh, we're expected to have Lane Johnson, the all-pro right tackle, back for this game. Yes, there are still question marks on this Eagles O-line, but you have two bona fide All-Pros, center Jason Kelsey, uh, then we're going to have Lane Johnson back. I know Aaron Donald is a top, un- unmistakably, unarguably a top five football player in the NFL, but the the Eagles have the Rams' number. We have had it for a while. I think this game is just going to prove that going forward. Guys, we didn't even have a running game against the football team. Boston Scott even left the game halfway through that game because he got injured at some point. We had no running game, and we're expected to have Miles Sanders back. It's going to add another dimension to this this team. This offense is going to perform. And we flip over to the defensive side. One of the only bright spots I can take away from that Eagles game is Darius Slay is proving he's a top-five cornerback in the NFL and our secondary actually doesn't have any more question marks. And our D-line did look good. I think this is going to be a battle, but I am going to take my Eagles to bounce back because of the additions of Miles Sanders and Lane Johnson on the offensive side. Leo, I'm curious then. If you think Darius Slay is a top-five corner, who are the other four? I couldn't. You'd have to give me time I'll to think about that. I'll put you on the that. spot I, right now. I, I, nope. I, can't, right. I can't say that right. off the top of my head. I, I, you, you know some of the guys. It'd be like Jalen Ramsey, Stephon Gilmore. Something for, the, something for the viewers to look forward to in the next episode. Let's leave it at that. Okay. All right. Okay. You, so got, you I do, got some homework now. I've got. I guess I do have some homework, but um, I would. I don't even think that's crazy to say that he's a top five cornerback in the NFL. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong here between you two. But anyways, I do have the Eagles pulling out this game barely because they need the bounce back game, and we're gonna have some key injuries back. Hopefully. Now I'm gonna say this here though, real quick, Dom. If Miles Sanders doesn't play, I'm changing it to the Rams. Okay. Here, Josh. I'll give you my top five corners. Okay. Stephon Gilmore, 
Two, Tredavious okay. White. Good. Three, Jair Alexander. Four, Jalen Ramsey. Five, Xavier Howard. No Marlon Humphrey. No. Wow. I disagree with that one. I disagree I, with that one. Xavier Howard hasn't played in a very long time. He's been injured a lot. Uh, what, was the, what was the fourth one? Jalen Ramsey definitely on that list. I was going to say Tredavious White, Buffalo Bills, Stan, Josh Golden. Tredavious he is better White than isn't even an argument. He isn't. I, I, he's better than Darius Slay. He, he'd be at the bottom of the five for me. I'm, I'm not debating that White is better than Slay. I wasn't arguing that. I just wanted to know who you thought the top five were. I was curious. But I do know that you we'll hear about it next you, time. Don't worry. I do know that you got agitated because you are because Darius White is on the Bills and you heard cornerback and you immediately jumped on it. Any excuse I get to talk about, Trey, I take. Fair enough. All right. Um, now. Sorry, I got a little off track. So, Dom, you highlighted – or no, that was Josh. You highlighted the Rams and Eagles game. I definitely think that's a good one. I guess it is now uh, my turn to highlight a game. There are a lot of interesting games to take apart from here. There are some games that I thought would be interesting before I saw the teams playing week one, and now I sort of feel like it's not going to be as much of an interesting game. But one game I certainly want to highlight is the Sunday night game. Uh, It's the Cam Newton 1-0 Patriots Going to Seattle, uh, Cam looked very impressive in his first game, scoring rushing touchdowns. Uh, seeing a quarterback score rushing touchdowns in in a Patriot uniform is is never going to get, uh, you know, is never going to feel right for me because I'm not used to it. I know you guys are. And then you have a red hot Seattle Seahawks team playing at home on Sunday Night Football. There's a reason this is a Sunday Night Football game. Get Russ on national TV for the rest of the year, please. Uh, I don't care if you have to play him every week on national TV. I want to watch this guy. And he and Jamal Adams are going to embarrass the Patriots. This is not even going to be close. Uh, 28-13. I, I, I would say 28-10, honestly, at this wow. point. The Seattle defense showed that they can stop a high-powered, better Falcons offense like they did in Atlanta. There's no reason they shouldn't shut down this Patriots offense and show that Super Cam – is not very super. Guys, what do you think about this Sunday night matchup? We all know I love Seattle. I don't even need to bother saying it anymore. I think this is one of the best teams in the NFL. I think this is the team that will end up winning the Super Bowl when it's all said and done. And I think Russell Wilson is going to carry them to a win on Sunday night football. Dom, you're up. If you watch the game, it looked like Seattle was blitzing a lot against the Falcons. It's going to be interesting to see if they'll continue to do that in Week 2 against the Patriots. Their defense looked way better than it did last year. You know, if you watched any part of the game, that's what stood out to you. You knew the offense from Seattle was going to be good with Russell Wilson, and that, that obviously stood. They they performed well. I don't think Atlanta's defense is as good as Josh thinks they are, but they're certainly around average. So they're a top half defense. Yeah, around average, Josh. Thank yeah. you, uh, <laughs> Josh. And, uh, Josh. Never used uh, the word elite. I said they were good. Top half is good. Sure. Uh, so uh, this is going to be a great game. My roommate's a Patriots fan, so we're, of course, going to have this Ooh. game on. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. It, he's tough. fine. We're, he, he's, he's, I can hear him in the background watching the Celtics game right now. Is um, he at least he's, from Boston? Yes, he's from Boston. Okay, good. As long as he's not a bandwagon Pats fan, I can live with it. Yeah, exactly. Great. He didn't choose to live in Boston. All right, now, before we wrap up this uh, very fun second episode. I want to quickly do something. We had Super Bowl predictions to end the last one. Guys, I want you to throw out a week two hot take. I know we've thrown out a couple in this podcast. I certainly have already thrown out some, but I want off the fly off the top of your head. You catch me out with the quarterback list. I'm going to catch you out with hot takes. Josh, off top of your head, hot take for week two anywhere. Give me one. Was, right was Russell Wilson winning MVP not a hot enough take for you? Uh, not off the top or, of your head, it wasn't. So we, we're going to need a one off the top of your head right now. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back. It's off the top of your head. I had to throw out quarterbacks second. like it was hotcakes. I need a second. I need a second. Need a second. All right, Dom, do you have a better idea for a hot take for week two, looking at any of these matchups, any of these players? Yep, week two hot take, the Jacksonville Jaguars are 2-0. You said, right. uh, you said hot take. You said hot take. There you go. I, 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 I love to see it. I love, I love to see it. That is as red hot as my hair. They're playing the Titans at home, who got a good win thanks to Steven Goskowski going one for five on uh, kicks on the night. Yeah. Uh, so that'll definitely be fun to watch. Minshew Mania. Josh, the timer is up on you. Give me Timer's a up. hot I take. Got one. I got one. Don't worry. 
I mentioned this guy before. I'm going to mention him again. Chase Young, top five in sacks at the end of the year. That, that's a that's a season that's, hot take. I, I need a week yeah. two hot take. A week two hot take? Yes, a week two yes. hot take. A week Fine. two hot take, Josh. This is Panthers by double digits. Panthers. So you have the Panthers box by double digits. With, you have an 0 and 2 box Tom Brady to box name. 0 and 2 Tom Brady. There's hot. Man, he he just All right. he just, hey, that's he just took my take. We're he just took my take. We're you asked for hot, and then you stole mine. That's crazy. You wow. took my hot take right out from under me. All right, uh, my hot take of this week is going to be that Kyler Murray, four total touchdowns, smashes the Washington football team. This guy is going to pop off, and I see him running so away. you're yelling against... at me for my takes, and your hot take is four TDs from Kyler? That's not that hot. Against the gets... terrible defense? Terrible? No, terrible defense. It's Chase Young and ten other guys. It's Landon nope. Collins, Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan. You have a – Kerrigan's old by a... now. Landon Collins is still good, and they have Chase Young, and they don't have much else. They have like four four first round draft picks on the D line. That's like a top ten D line of football right now. Uh, did it, did Ruben Foster play for them on Sunday? No. No. Okay. I that's not that. four total touchdowns. That's that's a pretty hot take from a defense that just shut down. It doesn't even have that good offensive line. line. The Cardinals one isn't any better. <laughs> Slightly better. Slightly, but I mean, I, I, I think that's a hot take. I wouldn't consider that that hot of a take, but okay. It's, you know, their level, there is boiling, and then there's, you know, steaming, all right? This is a little more on the stealing. You, you just you just pulled the burger off the grill. It's too hot to eat. you got to wait a couple seconds, all right? And then you got Dom over there with, with freaking 2-0 Jaguars that's just coming right off the sun and hitting me for some UV rays. Anyways, that's going to wrap up the Split the Scene podcast for this week. It's definitely a lot of fun. I enjoyed this podcast a lot. A lot of hot takes uh, that I hope a lot of you guys keep us checked up on. We'll obviously see you next week. Uh, for Leo Silverman, this has been Dom, Dominic Stern, Josh Golden. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.